Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Aftershock Monday episode, and today we're going to be previewing uh, a book that's upcoming from Aftershock, and I'm lucky enough to have the writer, Olivia Cortero Briggs, joining me today. Olivia, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you about this book. Yeah, uh, so I first became aware of your work when you worked with Adam Glass on uh, Mary Shelley and... uh, Mary and, Shelley Monster Hunter. Yeah, yeah, Monster Hunter for uh, for Aftershock, uh, which you co-wrote, and Adam was somewhat of a, a mentor for you. And now you're you're kind of going out on your own and mm-hmm. writing something solo. So, first of all, tell us a little bit about working with Adam and how you found that whole experience. Now that it's you know it's been a little while, and you can kind of look back on it with some perspective. Um, was it a, a big learning experience? Do you feel like you got a good handle on it? What are your thoughts about looking back at, uh, at Mary Shelley, Monster Hunter? Uh, well, everything uh, regarding my relationship uh, with Adam Glass has been both a learning experience and um, a wonderful friendship uh, that I hope will last a lifetime. And I think it will. Um, I met Adam. I was uh, just at the end of my final year at uh, Tisch Graduate School. I was in their um, <laughs> Singapore campus, which was a short-lived NYU endeavor. And Adam was the TV thesis panelist. Um, so that's how we first met. He brought his wife out with him, the amazing Mia. Uh, my husband was out there in Singapore with me while I was getting my degree. Um, so we all hung out and became friends. And uh, about a year after I graduated, he was co-show running a show called Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. And uh, he helped me get the job as the writer's assistant on that show. So it was actually there that I got my first introduction to Adam's world of common with Rough Riders. Um, he, you know, had us pitch around some ideas and he knew that I was interested in getting into comics. Um, so he kind of, you know, allowed me to play and dabble Rough Rider story. So that was really my introduction there. Um, and then when Mary Shelley Monster Hunter came up, um, it was an idea that Adam had had for a long time. He wanted a female voice in the project. Um, so we decided to partner on that. And it was an incredible learning experience. There's a lot, a lot of similarities between television writing and comic book writing. But with comic books, the stories move a lot faster. And uh, the issue outs, which we would probably call act outs in television, um, really have to be that much stronger because you're not just asking people to come back from the commercial break. You're asking them to come back a month later and get the next issue. Um, So that along with, you know, how to really engage readers from the very beginning, um, page turns, formatting. Um, he took me through the whole thing, and it's it's wonderful to have someone mentoring a project that is just so seasoned in storytelling. Um, there were never a lot of notes, but the notes that I was given were very poignant, and it always ended up serving to punch up the story, to add some, some phenomenal um, creature or world-building element that's really Adam's specialty. He's lived in the world of, you know, fantasy, uh, these sci-fi areas. Is these these world building shows that he's worked on that's uh that's a big part of his origin story um <laughs> for lack of a better phrase and so that's what he's really really good at 
And um, I benefited from all of it. And I hope to work with Adam as much as I can, um, where we should be hopefully soon starting on Bram Stoker, Monster Hunter with Aftershock, uh, which would be another co-write with Adam and myself. And we've already broken the story and we're super excited about it. Um, so yeah, I would take any chance to work with Adam and anything moving forward. And hopefully we get a lot of those opportunities. Yeah, but in the meantime, you're, you're going out on your own with, uh, with Silver City. Yeah. Uh, which I'm excited about. When I when I got the, uh, the the press release from from Aftershock, it was so funny. I I was like, man, I I got to get Olivia on the show to talk about this. It sounds so interesting. And literally that that same day later, the the PR person uh, at Aftershock, Aaron, who I'm sure you know, yes, uh, the amazing reached out Aaron. To me. Yeah, he he reached out to me. He's like, hey, would you like to have Olivia on the show? I'm like, were you reading my mind earlier? Like I was just Aww. going over. Uh, the upcoming books from Aftershock and, and seeing who 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 do I need to have on to, to talk about. So I'm really excited for it. Why don't you let our listeners know uh, kind of the elevator pitch? What what's Silver City about at its core? <laughs> well, um, Silver City is an epic epic adventure um, about a young misfit who finds herself in the purgatorial slum that is the afterlife. Um, and as the secret surrounding how she died, why she died and what she is beginning to unravel, she finds herself faced with a, a quest bigger than she could have ever imagined. And one that she's really going to overcome a lifetime of self-doubt uh, to conquer. So that's the that's the briefest kind of elevator pitch that I could give you. It's a big story. <laughs> now, how long, like, has this been a story that's been kind of in the back of your mind working away for a long time? Or is it something that, uh, like, occurred to you fully formed? Give us uh, an idea of the impetus. Sure. This one's really unusual. Um, I had never really dabbled in this type of genre, in a fantasy world, in uh, the kinds of ideas that require vast amounts of world building. It just hadn't been in my repertoire um, until Silver City. And the idea actually came to me in a dream that I had when I was in my, about my mid-20s. Um, I was living in Hollywood at the time, right on Hollywood and Wilcox, and I had this fabulous roommate at the time, and he and I, we had gone to college together, and we were always cooking up projects together. We had this little production company that I don't think ever made any money, uh, but <laughs> we loved it, and so we were always kicking around ideas, and I had this dream that I woke up on the floor of this room I had never been in before. There were all these people around me. It was really hazy and people were coming around checking on us and someone picked me up off the floor and they told me that I had died. And I instantly believed them. I mean, I knew that what this, I didn't know why or how, but I knew what this person was saying was true. And then we were, everyone was, you know, scrambling to find rooms. And so they took me across this footbridge to another area of the building. And it was there that I looked out onto the city that I had never seen before, this wild gray metropolis with these crazy stacked buildings and this massive statue. Uh, it was actually, in my dream, it was literally like a coat of arms stuck on a pole <laughs> that was like <laughs> over the city. Luca uh, did something much better with the uh, the Silver Knight statue, but it was called the Silver City in my dream. I mean, uh, late, recently I was asked where I got the title. The whole thing came to me in that dream. And then I was so disappointed in my dream because 
I, I had died and yet I was being told I had to get an apartment, I had to pay rent, I had to get a job. I was so upset. I was working at this crappy coffee shop and I was like, how is this my life now? And then as part of my civic duty in Silver City, I had to volunteer at the same place. I have very vivid dreams, by the way. This one was extreme. Mm-hmm. But I had to volunteer at the place that I had landed and help other people that had just arrived. And when I was there, a baby, there was a baby in this room and the professor, uh, who's not a character yet, but he will be, um, said to me, uh, oh, we usually just do away with those because they don't grow or change in this world. And I said, you're not killing this baby. I'm going to keep this baby. Um, And... It was, I guess some time had passed in my dream because I remember feeling around in her mouth and her teeth were growing. And that's how I knew, oh, she's not dead. I don't know how she got down here, but she's not dead. Um, And in my dream, that baby's name was June. Um, So, uh, and that's when I woke up, when I realized that somehow there was a loophole this baby had gotten through. Um, So, I mean, after reading the first issue, you can see there's a ton of similarities with my dream. It's basically the introduction to the world I plucked right from my dream. Um, But rather than having the character of Junie be a baby, I thought it would just be more interesting and dynamic if she were um, a young girl um, instead. So yeah, I I, I lucked out with this one. My unconscious mind just delivered this package. It just took me, it was such a big idea. And I knew that it was such a big idea, especially when I would talk to my roommate about it the next morning. that I think in some ways I didn't feel like I was a good enough writer at the time to know what to do with it. I tried to write it as a novel at one point and I was like, this just isn't feeling right. I went to grad school, it was still on my mind. I remember trying to pitch it to people as a television show, but again, because the concept in the world was so big, I felt like I needed a way to demonstrate it mm-hmm. uh, effectively before you know taking it into the film or TV space. And, um, it was, it was the only thing that I pitched Aftershock after Mary Shelley. And they were like, okay, let's do it. And I remember thinking like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the, that's the history. So the story has been with me for almost 15 years. Well, so I love that even in your, your dreaming state, you hit on the thing that, that caught me when I was reading the, the pitch, right? Wait, you're in the afterlife and you still, like you're still worried about, kidnappings and you know you you said you got to get a job you got to wait this is the afterlife it's supposed to be whether good or bad it's supposed to be okay i'm done quote unquote living now right i don't have to do the do the work i don't have to go through the motions all the minutiae of of living uh but in silver city apparently uh you do which i think opens up uh, a world where there's an infinite number of stories you know maybe we start with this one but it's the city is inhabited with perhaps thousands of residents, you could tell more stories. You could even invite other writers into your uh, world that you've created to tell stories as well. Do you ever think about those kind of things? Um, In terms of the breadth of stories, yes. I mean, I'm... I was asked uh, because, you know, since the press release, there have been a few companies here and there that are interested in hearing, you know, like either a television adaptation picture, you know, where basically where the story would go from here. So I've been trying to cook up ideas. Um, And I know I know Rue's overarching journey. I know where she needs to end up. But you're right. 
her journey is not the only story to tell. I mean, Silver City alone, it's an extremely overcrowded, dynamic place with its own set and there's a lot going on there um so you're absolutely right there could be so many parallel stories uh being told and not only that what i what i've done to myself with this particular book and story is there are a total of nine levels of the afterlife including the world of the living so there are a lot more worlds to explore um, that are not like silver city silver city is just the first level of the afterlife so yeah, it's, it's a big, big universe, but yeah, I mean, were this to take off, I would love to have other writers come in and see what stories they could cook up in Silver City or beyond. Well, being that it is such a, such a big world and, and, you know, you yourself saying there's, there's even levels upon levels, um, you know, as a, a, a relatively inexperienced comic book writer, what has been the challenge? What has been the, the, the hardest thing? to make sure you you're conveying that level of kind of the, the vast world that you've created. So we do realize that, Hey, this is a, you know, a, a big world that we're, uh, we're learning about. I think for me, it's all about focusing on the character, making sure that you are telling the protagonist story. Um, and that, that goes for television writing that goes for film writing. I think that goes for any type of writing. Uh, at least for me, everything is fueled, character. So there are moments where I start to get overwhelmed just with the amount, especially there's a time travel element, um, which is not a huge spoiler uh, because it gets set up there in book one or maybe book two. Um, it's when uh, Mick tells his backstory. I think it's in book two. So when you start getting into things like time travel and multiple worlds, and now you're talking about multiple levels of existence and coexistence with former versions of yourself, that... <laughs> That starts to get right. really overwhelming, especially, you know, for someone, like I said, this is my first big dive into this type of world building and fantasy. So whenever that starts to happen, I just bring myself back to Rue, who she is as a person, the kind of growth that she needs to actualize her destiny and where she is in that moment um, and really what she needs uh, from, from beat to beat to beat. And that helps me <laughs> bring me back uh back on onto the ground as it were as solid as the ground can be when you're writing about a bunch of dead people yeah in, in silver <laughs> city uh well that, I, that's interesting I, that, that you say that it comes back to rue because you know if we look at it this uh, from the aspect of uh, you know the origins of it from from a dream of you yourself were were the character um sort of of rue i guess uh, how much of rue is in you and how much of you is in in Rue? I mean, obviously she's not a, a straight translation one for one, uh, but do you identify with her in a lot of ways? Oh, I mean, I identify with her 100%. I have, um, I don't have the same backstory that she does. Um, she grew up in the foster system. Um, I did not. I had a very different upbringing. Um, but I think that um, as young women, I think as people, we all go through lives from our own point of views. And I think that we have, there's a struggle between feeling like there has to be purpose behind our lives, that we, there has to be something more than what's in front of us. We have to be meant for something bigger and better. And I always felt that way growing up. And, I'm sh and I know my friends did too. You know, it's, it, it's not something you say out loud because, you know, people think, oh, I'm, just, you know, I'm high on myself or whatever it is. 
but we all feel like there's a grand purpose to our lives. And there's def there's a massive grand purpose to Rue's life. I wanted to take that, that sensation you have of feeling like your life has this grand purpose and destiny and put it into someone who was raised to believe that they were nothing, uh, mm -hmm. which is a lot of what Rue's backstory is and fighting that feeling that everyone around you is, is putting you down, turning you away, sending you back. Um, and yet she continued standing on her feet and, and believing in herself as much as she could Although, you know, after that experience, she really doesn't trust anyone, uh, which is a big issue for her and something she has to overcome now in death. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and I've done a lot of research on uh, the foster system a lot. And I also worked with young girls at a juvenile detention facility where I was volunteering um, for a stint there and hung out with them and taught them writing and absorbed them. And they're, they're all special young women, but, and it's hard to fathom what they, what they have been through and what they go through on a daily basis. And yet here they are, um, laughing and engaging with you and you so want the best for them. <laughs> um, and I've always been fascinated by those, by their lives, by their struggles and by their resilience. And so that's why I decided to craft Rue the way that I did and also to give her a real journey and kind of cement that feeling of people can say whatever they want to you. People can treat you like garbage, but you have to know that that feeling that you have in your gut, that you are meant for something more, it is real, it is true, and just wait. Yeah, and I think it's a, a relatable theme. Uh, you know, it's that old cliche, we're all the, the stars or the heroes of our own story. I think people are endlessly fascinating. Yes. Everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own stuff. Everybody has their own challenges that they've been through. So I think injecting that into a story and really exploring that makes it relatable for for anybody, you know, and I, I hope people respond to it. Me too. Me too. Cause I love Rue and you know, she's not the only um, character that is all, all the characters that I put on the page. I give them backstories, rich backstories. Um, I go through my writing students would laugh at me. Um, I teach writing classes from time to time. Um, and I, I call them character squares, you know, making sure that they all have flaws, that they all have wants and inner needs and superpowers, which is not necessarily being able to see through walls, but something that makes them special. Um, and uh, Victor and Mick, I, I love dearly. Of course, Rue's my favorite. She's always going to be my favorite. And Snacks, who is actually based on my, my dear dog, who actually, he died two years ago today. Oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. Oh no, look, he, he was a great dog. He lived a great full life. And when he was ready to go, um, he, he let me know. For a dog that spent a lot of time being nervous, he was not nervous about that. And um, I, had, I had him for 10 years and I got to hold him while he left this world. And I'm grateful for that. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, we're a big dog family here. We've got three, so I can only, I can only imagine. Um, tell us about your collaboration with Luca, your, your artist. Was he somebody you had in mind? Did Aftershock bring him on? Aftershock brought him on. Um, and from the moment I first saw his work, I was just, I was like, oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. We can get this. <laughs> I mean, it was, it just, it floored me. If, if you, you know, go online and look at his portfolio, it's absolutely gorgeous. And the process of working with him 
I mean, I'll tell you, it's uncanny. It's like 90 to 95% of the time, the sketches that he sends, I feel like he just pulled them out of my brain. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy. And sometimes I think like, oh, well, I guess I wrote my descriptions really well. And then I'm like, I don't know, this guy's pretty insane. <laughs> he's really, really talented. And then, you know, he's very imaginative too. And he takes a lot of chances, which is what you want. What you want in an artist is for them to take your idea and make it their own. Um, and that's why, you know, comics are such a fabulous communal piece of work, um, you know, between the writer, the artist, the letterer. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful composition, the way it all comes together, much like a TV show or a film. And he's also very collaborative. I, we've been able to have very, very open, honest discussions, um, you know, whenever things arise. And I always appreciate his honest input. And whenever, um, and it's very, very rare that we've gone back and forth on much of anything, really. Uh, but we always end up finding a happy medium within like three or four emails. It's, it's fabulous. And it's crazy because I've never even met the guy in person. It's so interesting, this world we live in where you can work with someone in a really intimate way. I mean, he's drawing my imagination. It's crazy. And he's nailing it. <laughs> so he knows me cosmically, maybe, maybe in some other lifetime. Uh, but I've been fantasizing once, you know, once we can really travel um, maybe I'll have to go to Italy and, and buy him a drink or two because he's really earned it. He's phenomenal. Yeah, the work is uh, incredible. And I specifically want to talk about the colors. Um, but before we, we get to that, uh, in terms of, of character design or the design of Silver City, and I'm, I'm going to say from the, the designs that I've seen and you know the one that's here over my shoulder, it's like Silver City itself is a character. So even when we talk character design, we're talking the design of Silver City in, in a way. Uh, as well. Um, was that something that that you had specific ideas in your head that you said, hey, Luca, you know, the city should look like this or the the, the characters, you know, Rue's going to look like this, June's going to look like this? Or was it something where you just said, OK, I'm going to trust this guy. Let's see what he comes up with. Um, I did have some ideas, but again, because I'm a storyteller, they came from my instincts about the history of Silver City. And uh, having traveled a bit in the world, you know, there are certain cities that you go to where they tear down everything that's old and they just build new on top of it, right? Mm -hmm. They don't save anything. And then there's some cities you go to where they, they go to great lengths to preserve everything that's old and you can't touch it and you can't build near it. So in thinking about those two things, I thought, well, gosh, Silver City has, has been around for thousands of years. What if, you know, much like the bodies of the people in Silver City, the buildings don't age. So, you know, you'll have uh, maybe ground floor, some, you know, thousand year old um, architectural style building, whatever was the fad at the time in the world of the living. Um, and then they just continued to build on top of it as the city grew. And so you'll have multiple architectural styles over the past thousand years or so, all kind of on top of one another. And maybe one building will be a composite of several different architectural styles all built off of off of the same structure. Um, so I knew that that's what I wanted. Um, that idea. Did I have like a physical depiction in my mind that I could, you know, pluck out and hand him? No, but that was the general idea that I gave him and he ran with it. And 
I I think it's amazing. I mean, I, I conceived of this place as like, you know, it's 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 a slum, it's purgatory, it's it's a shithole. And then I'm seeing his drawings and they're not off the mark in that regard, but like I would hang out there. Right. I want to go, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the the atmosphere that he yes. did. First of all, when when he read your description of you know, this city where the buildings change architectural style is, he must've thought, wait, what? This lady's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he didn't say so if he did. <laughs> I, I just think it's so, it's such an interesting uh, idea. So, uh, you know, clearly he, he got it. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's the atmosphere and not just in, in like the image that you see over my shoulder there, but um, I, I, I always sort of, and, and you coming from TV will, will totally get this. Um, the colors in a comic to me is kind of like the soundtrack in, you know, or the music, the score in, in a film, right? Like for watching, uh, whether it's a procedural or a horror movie or whatever, that music is sort of your emotional cue. When are you getting hyped up? You know, something's going to happen. I better pay attention. That sort of thing that plays on our emotions. And then we get the visuals that, that are the payoff, right? For me, that's color in, in a comic. It plays with our emotion. You, you can get a sense of the color palette and what the scene is like. Um, just from, you know, turning that page and, and having the colors even subconsciously, you know, uh, absorbed by yourself. Um, he's doing such an incredible job with the color uh, of establishing atmosphere and story beats. And I, I love it when a, a, an artist is doing both the line work and the color, because then, you know, it's their vision on a page. So my question is to you, um, seeing this color work he's, he's doing, it's, it's, you know, his story beats, him translating your, what you've written to hit those emotional beats. Is it yours as well? Like, is he, is that one of those things that you said you guys are like cosmically synced? Is he hitting those beats with the, the colors uh, emotionally, just like you imagined it would have been? Um, For the most part, yes. But I have to tell you, I mean, again, there's, there's only so far, my imagination goes and that's why I'm not a visual artist or mm -hmm. a cinematographer. Um, I I'm very much a story person. So when I'm crafting these, I don't see in my mind, I don't see color as much as I see the orientation of characters and, and certain details about the space with the color specifically. I, it was, it was tough for me because I knew instinctively that the city, it couldn't be, super colorful there had to be it had to be muted mm -hmm. in a way because this is this is a very gray place the sun never rises or sets it's it it has to feel funky and to when luca and i were discussing colors the closest that i could kind of describe to him is something i thought might work is um there was a time maybe it was like in the early 90s i grew up in new york city and i remember seeing a lot of like street art at the time that was, it always cast New York City um, in like blues and purples, you know, those like kind of like jazzy colors, like mm -hmm. mixed on the sidewalk right after it rains. Like that was an image that was, that was uh, really front and foremost in my mind. Um, but what he did, which I still, and again, this is why, this is why he's an incredible artist and I'm a writer. He was able to make the city quite colorful while maintaining this feeling of 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 gloom 
mm-hmm. pop, like on every page. And it's it's really, really stunning. And it just makes you respect the artists that you work with so much when they can you can describe a tone or a mood and as as you know a, a storyteller um that that's what i can do i can tell you how i want this to make somebody feel uh and he took that feeling and he turned it into color and what you're saying atmosphere and all of those little details i mean not you i, I don't not every artist that you work with can you have a bunch of silent panels right because mm-hmm. that's when the emotions are really translating or they need to really translate i feel like i could probably write half as much <laughs> as i do in these books and all the emotional life would be there because he captures all of it in his drawing and you're right in the color and the atmosphere it's it's fantastic yeah it, it really is because you're right it's so you know, a less experienced artist maybe would say, okay, well, if I'm trying to make it gloomy and then they go monochromatic or dichromatic, they're using just one or two colors. Everything right. is just literally gray or gray scale. Um, but there's, uh, you know, even on this scene, the, the, the people, they have different colored clothing on it. It differentiates. It makes it feel more real, um, but it doesn't affect the, the atmosphere. He just knows how to, how to use color perfectly, <laughs> just like you said. Absolutely. And it's it's the bar scene that really got me when I saw that in color. Oh, yep. Because that's all reds and oranges. Mm-hmm. And yet he still maintains that 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 feeling like something could erupt at any moment. And in fact, it does in that scene. Um, and I just love, oh, I, I gave him this description of this bar that I had been to in downtown LA that I just thought was the weirdest bar. It was like walking into the bottom of a ship. <laughs> and then I had some ideas for some embellishments and I sent him pictures of it and what he created. Again, it was one of those moments where I was like, I need to go there. <laughs> Not just because Janice Joplin was performing, although that would certainly be an awesome. Well, the, the, you know, the thing that it, that it does um, by him being able to use a diversity of color, but, but keep the, the tone and the mood and the atmosphere the same is that it really come it gets across that idea that we were talking about earlier that even though this is afterlife even though this is you know a purgatory or a limbo it's still a place where you have to live and get an apartment and get a job and and all those sort of things you know it's that dichotomy of even though it's the afterlife you're still sort of living and by having a diversity of color where it looks more like a you know our real world you know but with different tone and and mood obviously it it conveys that uh, idea i think very very well yeah it does it's a good point. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is obviously considering how long this has been percolating in your mind, you know, 15 years ago, you had this dream <laughs> and you've been searching for the right medium to, uh, to, to release it in. And, and I think you've hit the perfect spot with a, with a comic and with, and with Aftershock, certainly. Um, how excited are you to like have this out there in the world and see people's reactions? Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a bit nervous. And I think that that always happens, you know, when you have spent so much time with something uh, with your head kind of buried in it. You know, the idea that somebody's going to be looking at it with completely fresh eyes. Um, it's really exciting and it's really nerve wracking. Um, but I I trust very much in my editors um, in Aftershock. They are fantastic, uh, Mike and Christina. Um, I also trust my mom. 
Who <laughs> has been um, a huge fan of this story um, ever since the beginning. She's and she's very, very precious about it. And she's already ordered copies and has requested signed copies, which I will, of course, uh, indulge her in. It would be terribly mean not to. Um, and also one of my closest, closest friends is also um, a television writer and I run everything by her. And when I had created the outline for these first five books, it's an incredibly intricate story. I sent it to her and I was holding my breath because I thought, oh my God, I if this doesn't make any sense to her at all. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she wrote me back and she said, Olivia, I have no idea how you did this. If, if this were me, I would wallpaper my wall with this story. <laughs> so good. And, um, and that was a wonderful thing to hear. She's an incredibly skilled writer and someone whose opinion I respect so much. So between those four experts in my world, I feel like um, we've crafted something that is truly uh, worthwhile. It's a very engaging story. It's a bunch of characters that I guarantee you have never seen together because they're all from different points in time and history. Um, and it's a very new, fresh story, but incorporating a lot of common themes and trying to make sense of things that we experience in our everyday life. Like, you know, deja vus, um, obviously fear of death, the whole uh, way that we live our lives and the way that we die, the reason why there is uh, a, a mystery to what happens afterwards. All of that is explained um, in this story and is, is given a reason and a mission and, and I'm not comparing myself to the matrix because that would be ridiculous, but we do, uh, we have worked really hard uh, between the editors and myself to um, basically create a hypothesis for why we live the way that we do and that maybe things aren't supposed to be the way that they are. And you know, the, the way that we live is kind of, uh, we've taken for granted a bit um, that things could actually be a lot better um, if only for um, a few old souls going on the mission of a death time, a lifetime, a death time. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's got a lot of intriguing concepts and I can't wait. I love comics that make me think I can, you know, be doing something else days later and still be thinking about them. Um, but it really sounds like in this, these first five issues, we're going to get a, a complete story. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it seems like you could go on a lot longer, you know, obviously sales uh, dependent. So is that is is that the case? We'll get a complete story with the five. But if it does well, you've got a lot of other stories to tell in this uh, in this world. Um, it's kind of structured twofold. Again, with my TV background uh, and episodic television, you always kind of, within an episode of hour-long television, you want to tell a complete story, but also introduce the fact that there's a massive, you know, overarching mission here. Um, so both are accomplished in this book. Um, so, you know, we meet our main characters. Um, there is, uh, the mission is introduced fairly early on. And that the mission that is introduced does get accomplished without, uh, well, it's, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I think it has a somewhat satisfactory ending, mm -hmm. <laughs> at least one that feels complete. But then, yes, there is a, a very large um, overarching mission that is introduced. And the end of the fifth book ends on a really big cliffhanger. Um, 
So I hope that readers aren't too mad. <laughs> uh, but yes, so there is there is a complete story in here, but um, there's a big journey ahead. And yes, sales dependent, there's a really, really big story and some crazy stuff that's going to happen. So um, I obviously I'm not, you know, you can't make anybody buy anything, but I really hope that people do because not only would I love to continue telling the story because there's a lot of story to tell, um, but I feel like in some ways the best is yet to come and I want everyone to get to see it. Well, I, I hope that's the case as well because you already have me excited for it. So let's let's, let, let's extrapolate that out. Let's say, you know, pie in the sky, it, it's a big hit. Um, how long do you think you would, would go? Like how much of a, of a story is it? Is it 20 issues? Is it 50 issues? Do you have any idea? I mean, I guess you wouldn't want to. <laughs> Overstay your welcome. You, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, I think 20 issues, what, I think 20 issues sounds like a good, a good number, maybe a little bit more. I mean, it's for me, you know, because there are these multiple levels of the afterlife, you really want to um, explore each one. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of, you know, the land itself and the story possibilities and uh, Silver City is kind of base camp for these characters. We'll, we will be coming back um, quite a few times out of necessity. Um, but I guess, I don't know, maybe like around the 30 issue point, God, that'd be such a dream. It'd be so great. But yeah, I think that that would give me enough time to really, um, explore all the worlds and to get all the story out that we need to. Cause again, this is, it's really an epic journey with a lot of twists and turns. And I'm sure conceptually I could find a fairly straight road from, you know, A to B if I needed to, but I don't think that that would serve the story as well as, as a longer run. And, um, and yeah, and these, and these characters have earned it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of mysteries um, to be solved and answers to be given. Um, and a lot of those questions are posed, whether the reader realizes it or not in the first five books, it really does set everything up. And every single thing that I set up in those five books will get paid off. At present, I think maybe I get to pay off, you know, like three or four of them. But there's like at least 15. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be great. Beginning. Yeah, that would be great to see it all pay off. And something you said that really kind of resonated with me. You said the, these characters have earned it. And back to our point earlier, the idea of Silver City as a character itself and Luca's done such an amazing job of building this character of the city and it's kind of earned it too. Like I, just like you, I want to be able to go there. I know it's not a real place. How can I go there? By reading a lot of, <laughs> by reading a lot of issues of the story. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And there's a good chunk of the next five books um, that uh, would take place there because as readers will see, there's a pretty big problem that's going on um, under the surface in Silver City and, um, again, it's one of the many things that's introduced in the first five books. Um, but Rue is not going to leave Silver City until she fixes that problem. Um, and that's going to be perhaps even more problematic than the issue that she deals with in the first five books. Um, so, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff to come. But these first five books, um, I've put my heart and soul and almost 15 years of uh, imagination juice into, 
And I'm just, I'm really excited for people to read them, for people to um, talk about these characters, engage with them. It's really fun. You get to see how each of them dies, um, which is an extremely fun thing to write. It sounds super morbid, but I'll just put it out there because um, all of their deaths have great significance in the story. Um, so uh, yeah, I just, I, I really hope that readers dig them as much as I enjoyed writing them. And they're very distinct and they're very different. And I'm excited to see who people like the most. I really am. And, you know, if people sense certain types of relationships emerging between them. Yeah, I'm just, I'm excited for all of it. Yeah. And I can't say that the reactions won't influence where the story goes. <laughs> Well, you know, you, you know this as a, as a writer, you always, uh, you know, you have it all planned out. You, you know, you mentioned you, you have the next five issues so, sort of done mm -hmm. in your head at least, but you always leave room organically to see if something resonates, you know, with the, the readers or based on reactions. Um, and that's part of being a, a, a good uh, creative writer, right? You've got to be a little bit flexible. And also, you know, I, again, I come from a theater background um, and it's collaboration creates the best art. It's why I love the writer's room. It's why I love working with other artists. Um, collaboration just makes everything better, even if it's just the collaboration between uh, vocal readers and, you know, my my story-addled brain. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a wonderful reciprocal relationship. And if there's certain things that people hate or can't stand, like, I'm not going to say it won't hurt for a minute or two, but, you know, you let, that's how I learn. And then I can, you know, make adjustments and move on. So it's it's all good, and I look forward to to all of it. Honestly, it's this is going to be a really really awesome experience for me, no matter how it plays out. I just again, I just hope that I get to keep telling the story because I'm not ready to say goodbye to these characters. Yeah, I hope it uh, goes on for a long time as well because uh, I'm fascinated. I'm excited. I can't wait to get my uh, get my hands on it. So. Uh, Olivia, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you and, and best of luck with the book. Hope it's uh, really successful. We'll be reviewing it and talking about it and encouraging everybody to go out and buy it. Uh, you know, every, everything, every little thing we can do to help, we're going to do because uh, I, I want 30 issues, to be honest with you. Just from, from, from talking to you and seeing how excited you are uh, and your descriptions of the world and the characters, God, why wouldn't I? <laughs> Oh, thank you. I so appreciate that. And if your fans have any questions, feel free to contact me, email me anytime. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve as it were. So. So where's the best place? Uh, should they reach out online? Do you have a website? Um, I don't have a website, but I am on the socials um, at Olivia C. Briggs. That is on both Twitter and Instagram. And those are probably the best places to, to catch me. Okay, great. And I'll put links to Olivia's uh, social media in the show notes, everybody. So if you're having trouble finding her, you can go click there and, uh, and find it. So uh, the book is coming out on May 12th. Uh, you need to let your retailers know right away uh, that you want it because final order cutoff is on the 16th. So that's the reason that I am releasing this Aftershock Monday uh, episode early, not on a Monday, uh, because I want to get it out there and give everybody a chance to let your retailers know the, as we always say, the best thing you can do to help out your retailer and to help out Olivia and to help out Aftershock is to let them know ahead of time that you want the book. That way they know to order it. And you know, you're going to have a copy. 
Aftershock is not the biggest publisher out there and uh, the shelves are crowded. We know that. So you can help everybody out by letting your retailer know that you want a copy and then you don't miss out. The worst thing is you're just as excited for uh, Silver City as I am and you go to your comic shop on May 12th and there's not a copy there on the shelf. That's that's terrible. I want you to read it. Olivia <laughs> wants you to read it. Yes, Aftershock please. wants you to read it. So please uh, let your retailer know as soon as possible that you uh, that you want the book. So. Uh, again, Olivia, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I look forward to having you back on after these first five issues, maybe right yes, before the please. trade drops. We, you can come on and be all spoilery and we can ask specific questions about story. Before. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. I yeah, love that. Right. That, that's, that's a date then. Okay, great. Uh, so listeners, we want to thank you as always for your support and for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.